1: Welcome to True Crime Garage, wherever you are, whatever you are doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me, as always, is a man that knows that beer is proof that God loves us and he wants us to be happy. He is the captain.
2: Thank you, thank you, thank you. It's good to be seen, and it's good to see you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend.
1: Tonight we are drinking Liquid Sunshine by our friends from Breakside Brewery in Portland, Oregon. Garage grade four and a half bottle caps out of five. This is Breakside's year-round German style Pilsner because any time of year is a great time for Breakside. Mm -hmm. And like I said on yesterday's show, go get you some because it is good, good tasty business. And Breakside Breakside Liquid Sunshine was brought to us by some of our good friends I can't, I can't get the words out of my mouth.
2: Because you keep saying
1: tasty business. All right. It's brought to us by our good friends. First up, we have Auntie in Helsinki. And from Beautiful Parts Unknown, we have Tracy and Louise. Next, we have Kevin from Ludington, Michigan. Kevin says he's just emerged from behind the Walmart. Referencing one of our old cases, of course. Who knows? Maybe maybe Kevin sleeps behind the Walmart. And a big shout
2: out to Catherine in Houston, Texas. A lot of beautiful women in Houston, Texas.
1: We also have Sarah and Angie. They are two former Ohioans now living in beautiful Denver, Colorado. OH. I-O. And last but not least, we have Nicole in Silver Spring, Maryland. So thanks to everybody for giving us the beer for this week's show. If you want to buy us around for next week's show and fill up the fridge... Go to TrueCrimeGarage.com and click on the donate button.
2: We like your jib. And for all bonus episodes, we have a couple out, The Brick of Family Murders and Tony Muncie. You want to check those out in the iTunes store. So you go to the iTunes store and search True Crime Garage, and we have some episodes there. Check those out.
1: All right, that's enough of the business. Everybody gather around, grab a chair, grab a beer. Let's talk some true crime.
3: There are new developments in the search for a little boy who's been missing for four days now. Kyron Horman vanished from his Portland, Oregon elementary school on Friday. Since then, police have received more than 1,000 tips, but so far have come up empty. The search for seven-year-old Kyron Horman is well into its fourth night, and so far, nothing. Kyren! Twenty-two local, state, and federal agencies are now involved, searching the thick-wooded area around Kyron's elementary school, stopping cars, handing out flyers, and pleading for information.
1: Kyron, we're going to gonna bring you home, buddy. Um, nothing is more important to your family, your friends, or to
3: us. Kyron was last seen by his stepmother after a science fair at the school early Friday morning, walking down a hallway toward his second grade classroom. She says he was wearing this CSI t-shirt and dark cargo pants. It appears he didn't make it to any of his classes, and his teachers just considered him absent for the day. His stepmother reported him missing when he didn't come home on the school bus Friday afternoon. Coming out here, you haven't found him this long.
2: It's- not a good feeling. He just seems to have evaporated into thin air, and that's that's just scary.
3: And even with more than 1,200 tips to follow up on, police are still asking for more. And Kyron's mother has not spoken publicly, publicly yet. She says she doesn't want to jeopardize that investigation. And authorities are now calling Kyron a missing, endangered child, but have yet to say whether he was kidnapped or just wandered off.
1: On Friday, June 4th, 2010, seven-year-old Kyron Horman is driven to school by his stepmother. They get out of the car around 8 a.m. just afterward, and they attend the science fair for a little bit that day. Now, his stepmother is the last person to see him. This is at the Skyline Elementary School in Portland, Oregon, and Kyron is in the second grade. Now, he's last seen around 8.45 a.m. This would be during the hours of the science fair, which was to take place from 8 to 10 a.m. that morning. And he's not seen in attendance at his first class that day, which started at 10 a.m. Now, on yesterday's show, we got through the Friday, June 4th, and the events that took place. He was eventually reported missing. This would be before 4 p.m. that day. And a full search was conducted of both the Chiron Horman home and the school that he attended in the grounds nearby. And then where we left off was the start of that Saturday, June 5th. Well, on June 5th at 5 a.m. The Pacific Northwest search and rescue. This is another search group, Mm -hmm. which was called by the sheriff's office. They join the search effort soon after this time. And when they arrive on site, there are already about 60 to 70 people involved in the search a little after 9 a.m. that day. The Associated Press receives its first official notification that Kyron Horman is missing via email. The subject line was, Sheriff's Office continues to search for seven-year-old Kyron Horman. And at this time, there is a tip line that is created as well. On noon that day, there's a news conference. And at that news conference, a sheriff's spokesman says that the search for Kyron is still a missing persons case and not a criminal investigation. The Portland Public School District uses its rapid broadcast system to alert staff and parents of Skyline school students that were at school on Friday to come to the K-8 through on Sunday for a briefing by police and federal agents.
2: Quickly, in this case, the law enforcement are going to ask for help from the FBI, but they're also going to get the National Guard involved in the initial searches.
1: Yes, because that evening, the FBI, National Guard, they joined the search effort. And that afternoon, a complete immediate grid search around the school is conducted. Now, after 10 p.m. that day, a Facebook page is created for supporters of Kyron and his family. The next day on Sunday, June 6th, just before 9 a.m., Kyron's stepmother, Terry, posts on Facebook and says she has ordered missing persons flyers. Uh, Her words, I ordered 1,000 flyers. They will be coming to our home. I will let people know when they are here so we can go from there. Thank you, everyone. Around this time, the FBI announces that they have brought in a Quantico, Virginia-based profiler to create a profile of the missing boy. Just before 10 a.m. that day, students and their parents return to the Skyline School to be interviewed by detectives. Uh, 50 detectives are on hand for interviews that continue until 4 p.m. that day. Now, my understanding is, Captain, they, they try to organize this thing best that they could because they have students and parents arriving uh, to be questioned by detectives and interviewed. And they set up a system where they actually interviewed the older students first. You know, we mentioned that this was a K through 8. Um, So they started with the older kids first working their way down to the younger ones.
2: Which makes a lot of sense because we'd assume that their eyewitness statements from older students would be just more reliable.
1: Yeah, they'll hold more weight and this is an urgent situation. If he's in a situation where he's in danger, you need to get to him as fast as you can. So you want to check for those most likely credible tips first.
2: One interesting thing about this search is, I mean, the big grid search that you were just talking about, Mm -hmm. because I mean, I guess... One of the thoughts would be, well, if he was unsupervised during this science fair time Mm -hmm. uh, from like 9 to 10 o'clock, who's to say that he didn't just walk out of the school and wander off? But then how much distance is this seven-year-old going to cover? So that's why they did that giant grid search like you were talking about.
1: Yeah, and that later that same day, relatives begin distributing missing person flyers with a photo of Kyron. And this description that he is three feet, eight inches tall, 50 pounds, blue eyes, brown hair, and last seeing seen wearing black cargo pants, white socks, and black sketcher tennis shoes with orange trim at 9 PM. The sheriff's department, they escalate Kyron's disappearance to a missing endangered child case, mm-hmm. but they do not call it a kidnapping at this time on Monday, June 7th. Early in the morning, 18 certified search and rescue volunteers resume sweeping the area near the school as deputies canvas the neighborhood, handing out flyers and jotting down license plate numbers of passing vehicles along Northwest Skyline Boulevard.
2: That, that is a very clever idea.
1: And for those of you wondering why would they do this, this seems a bit random. What they're doing here is they're kind of casting a wide net because, OK, this is Monday morning. And at the time that they're doing this, this would be roughly about the same time that Kyron would have been at school and then had gone missing. Right. And so in this same time frame, they just want to get a general idea of who would be typically passing through this area during that time by jotting down those license plates. The the similarities here is it's a business day, just like it was on Friday. It Mm -hmm. was a school day, just like it was on Friday. Who would be traveling? Who would be, you know... This would be somebody's normal route. Well, maybe they're a suspect. Maybe they happen to see something that day that they don't realize is of importance.
2: Mm, I think the other thing, too, is possibly if somebody took Kyron, then possibly they're coming back to the scene of the crime.
1: Yes, and around 8.45 a.m. that day, classes resume at Skyline School. Counselors are on hand, and they also set up some kind of counseling hotline uh, this would be to answer questions and obviously offer help to people that are traumatized or saddened by this situation. Now, on the same morning, Kyron's stepmother Terry, she posts on Facebook that she is hitting the gym. Um, and this is met with a lot of uh a lot of frown faces, let's say. Um a lot of people a little bit upset that she <laughs> seems to be hitting the gym and posting that she's hitting the gym on Facebook while a whole bunch of people were out looking for her stepson. Now, on Wednesday, just two days later, Wednesday, June 9th uh, in the morning, Terry, she makes her Facebook page private, uh, which makes sense because she's received a lot of flack for her hitting the gym comment that she made. At 11 a.m. on that Wednesday, an FBI spokeswoman announces that the Horman family is not speaking to the media because they do not believe it is in the best interest of finding Kyron. At noon, uh, news briefings begin. Uh, This is with the sheriff's department. Uh, Sheriff's Captain Mike Schultz reads a statement from Kyron's family stating Kyron's family would like to thank people for support and interest in finding their son. The outpour of support and continued effort strengthens their hope.
2: We yeah, I mean, other than the non-support about the Facebook comments.
1: Yeah, <laughs> we need for you folks to continue to assist us in our goal. Please search your properties, your cars, outbuildings, sheds, etc. Also, check with neighbors and friends who may be on vacation or may need assistance in searching their property. So, this is, we've seen this in several cases before. This is kind of a, a cry for help to the public,
2: to the general public. Well, this is where the search to me becomes pretty sad because it's pretty obvious that this is a criminal case.
1: Mm-hmm. It's starting to look that way. It's been three days. He's still gone. Mm-hmm. Now, on Thursday, June 10th and Friday, June 11th, the search resumes. But this time, the search expands to a place called Savi Island, which is a. I understand it's about six miles from the school. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of water there. Um, this is also kind of a very uh, inhabited area. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess a lot of a lot of fields and things like that. So they've they've expanded the search to the Savi Island.
2: At one p.m., they're going to have a press conference. This is the clip that we play in part one of this four-part series.
1: Yeah, you hear the stepfather speaking at this press conference, as well as Kyron's father. Now, by this point, we're, we're one week removed, you know, one week after the disappearance and Mm -hmm. still no Kyron. Now on that Sunday, June 13th at noon, the sheriff's office announces that the massive search for Kyron has ended. And the case has been shifted to a criminal investigation. Uh, this was a huge search, you know, lasted over 10, lasted 10 days by this point. One of the largest in state history, they have checked to a two mile radius around Skyline school and also parts of Savi Island. The sheriff's office also announces it is looking for any video footage of traffic on several different Portland area roads in the general area near the school.
2: It's clear to me that the FBI is involved mm-hmm. because... I mean, some of these ideas that they're coming up with, these are things that have been missed in other cases. Correct. Now,
1: before we move on past this weekend, I want to talk about some things that happened within the first week of the search for Kyron.
2: Was Terry working out more?
1: um yeah apparently
2: Uh, (laughs) (laughs) she's posting she posted uh five times on facebook that she's working
1: out yeah well it was she went into the oldies she went to the gym at least on the day that he went missing and then again on uh early in the week after um Mm -hmm. you know it's strange because at one point she was um some type of was into bodybuilding. It was a hobby of hers for a short period of time. She even, uh, participated in competitions. So when you hear that part of her life, you think, well, this is somebody that was very regimented and probably working out was a daily part of their life. Um, she was many years removed from, from that hobby. Mm -hmm. And she wasn't as regimented as one would think a bodybuilder to be, because like I said, this is, this is, Five six years after she last competed, in, and in, she had a child. Yes, and so I don't think she was working out that often. It seems, or maybe does she it seem trying. a little weird, though that maybe some time has freed up in your life and the gym becomes a, more of a priority.
2: Uh, I don't know how much she was doing this before the disappearance. You know. Yeah. And so then, look, it's not that weird that she drops off. Uh, you know her stepson at school and then she goes to the gym Mm -hmm. that seems like a normal activity especially if you're trying to get involved it's not even that probably abnormal if somebody you know I I get stressed out pretty easy one of the things that can relieve a bunch of stress for me is if I you know run a couple miles or lift a little you know a couple weights sometimes that helps Uh, so maybe that's what she's doing I think the downfall here is that you post it on social media like you said why, you're, why people are searching for your kid. Mm-hmm. I think I'd also have a really hard time doing anything other than searching. Right. And I think that's you know, kind of suspicious there. And like you said, I mean, at one point she was in, in really good shape. She probably, it looked like at one point she went to the gym and she hit the weights hard. And now she kind of looks like she goes to the gym and um, eats ice cream. <laughs>
1: All right. I got a little sidetracked. We got a little sidetracked there, but the, some things that I, of other questionable behavior that I wanted to bring up before we move on past this weekend here. So sometime during the first week that Kyron is missing, some news reports start coming out about Cain's brother. Remember Cain is Kyron's father. Uh, his brother, his brother's name is Christian. The news is that back in 2008, Christian molested his 15 year old stepdaughter. Uh, he was caught and convicted for these charges, but it wasn't until 2009 that he was arrested for this. And then in June, uh, he started to serve his sentence. This was for a third-degree charge. Uh, so he served like about a six-month sentence in this. So he would have been out of prison at the time of Kyron's disappearance. He was investigated pretty heavily and looked at pretty pretty well early in the get-go, and Mm -hmm. he was cleared uh, for good reason, I'm guessing, uh, very early into this investigation. But it's something we should should
2: mention. Yeah, they don't state what it is, but I'm guessing that he had a solid alibi.
1: And then we also have the situation, Captain, where we get a story from Kyron's stepmother, Terry.
2: That she's at the gym. No. This
1: is a story that seems a little different than the story that we've already been told. Okay, so what is the previous story? was that she last saw Kyron walking toward his classroom, Mm -hmm. his first-class classroom door. He's feet from the door approximately at 8.45 a.m. when she leaves the school to go about her day. In this second story, she sees him in this same general area, but this time Kyron is with an unidentified male, uh, an adult, so we have we have this addition of this unidentified person popping up in the second
2: story here. Yeah. So what do you think of that?
1: I think it's very fishy. Um, I I think as far as a parent goes, when you're being asked when the last time you saw your missing child, whether it be a stepchild or your own, mm-hmm. that you're probably visualizing everything that you thought you saw, and I you would you would include anything. You know what I mean? Like, possibly. Have you ever like I've been asked questions by the police before
2: for what for
1: things that I that I may have witnessed or may not have witnessed. Mm -hmm. But what I tend to do when I'm in those situations is I want to lie. I want to be as forthcoming as possible. So usually I will even include things that I think have no relevancy to what they're talking about.
2: (laughs) Well, no, I'm just saying I could see a law enforcement guy interviewing you and then going. This guy is just telling me a bunch of nonsense no, to but, throw me off the scent. No, but let me give you an, an example, okay? Because I'm
1: trying to help be as helpful as possible. Mm-hmm. So it, let's say if a, if a detective asked me, Hey, Nick, on Friday at noon, did you see a brown car on this road?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: My answer would be probably a little more than he'd want maybe, but I would say I didn't see a brown car, but I remember seeing a blue car. You know, it, right, it, right. It, it may have something to do with the the situation. It may not. But I, I tend to think of everything I could possibly think of and then include it in my statement. What I'm getting at by this is I don't see that there's a way that she's asked about the last time that she saw her stepson and all of a sudden now this dude magically appears in her memory.
2: Mm, yeah, yeah. I mean, I I get what you're feeling. For me, though, it's like it might have been one of those things where it's like, I don't know. I I don't know exactly what happened. I saw him walking towards his room and maybe he was talking to one of his friends or whatever. And maybe she just didn't, you know, at the time it wasn't that big of a deal. I mean, they probably asked her this first question like the day he went missing, right? Mm-hmm. And then maybe as she was pondering it or the fact that people are like, well, there is no record of him being in the homeroom. And maybe that bothered her. And as she kept pondering it and pondering it, maybe she was like, oh, "Well, you know what?" <laughs> Hypothetically speaking, what if she's like, "Well, I saw him with this kid, and then they talked to the kid, and the kid doesn't remember." Mm-hmm. Then at some point, she's like, "Oh, well, there was this, there was this man that was close, and maybe he could, um, you know, have my story make sense, or maybe he has some idea." I am just, just saying it's not it's not out of the question that somebody would remember. Uh, start remembering a little more details as time was passing you would think that that story would come out sooner but again i don't think it's super nefarious you know
1: i get it i get it but i'm i'm thinking that that she would have been questioned and asked questions many times over and over again about that story very early
2: yeah I would hope so but we've go
1: We've well, but we're talking the, about a situation where we have by the end of Friday, the same day that he went missing, their home had been searched. So I'm guessing just by that, I'm going to go with, she'd probably been interviewed by police by that point, maybe more than once by the, by the morning, the next morning, the FBI has arrived and they're on the scene. I bet you she's questioning again at that time. We yeah, don't, but what, we don't right, know but but what not
2: notes, there. right. But what notes were they taken? What was recorded? Did she? Did she ever mention this in passing? You know, I, I think it's, you know, it's an interesting point, but I think it's, it's one of the pieces of this case that kind of gets brought up a bunch. Like, well, she changed her story, but mm-hmm. it's like, but she didn't change her story much. It was just, oh it's yeah, just and the then, addition of this guy, right? And there might have been a adult, uh, a male, adult chaperone by him.
1: It's a know? possibility, but I think some people look at it too even if you don't look at it as changing the story because, but let's stop this. Cause that's what it is. It's changing this. It's a different story. Okay. Um, with the addition, well, but, now we uh, have the addition of this dude. Is that taking, is that adding, that's adding to the equation, a possibility?
2: No, I look, I agree, but I, I think changing the story is, is one thing. If she, you know, if there was a big change of the story, I, to me, this is an addition to the story. So that's where I'm saying that's that's the difference for me.
1: But is it any different than saying I last saw him with a python next to him?
2: mm, Yes. Yeah, yeah, I I, I know those words are different. There's a human and there's a python.
1: Right, but what I'm getting at is I think the implication here is that I last saw him by himself. Uh Now I've last seen him with probably his abductor.
2: (laughs) Or a python, right? Mm -hmm. I get your point, though.
1: Right. I mean... Because we're talking about we have a, a few possibilities that took place. He ran off on his own, somebody that knew him took him, or somebody that didn't know him take him. right. So when when you when you throw out there that, oh, I saw him with some dude, well, now all of a sudden you're throwing out something that likely could be the outcome of what took place. It's 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 a very big addition. you know, uh, I, I get that it's not totally changing. it's adding but it's a very big addition to the story.
2: We'll get right back to Facebook posts and pythons right after this quick beer break.
1: The evidence keeps pouring in at this point. The facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Everyone is still talking about monopoly go for a good reason delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches, unique playing pieces, and so much more. The verdict is in. With Monopoly Go, there's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now free on the App Store and Google Play. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest
2: and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, I highly recommend that you give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com/garage today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp h e l p.com/garage. This show is proudly sponsored by BetterHelp. Check out betterhelp.com/garage today. Do you want to set your child up for success? Of course you do. That's why you need to check out IXL Learning today. Get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com garage. Visit IXL.com garage to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Check out IXL.com garage today.
1: Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factors No Prep No Mess Meals. to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active.
2: All right. Cheers, mates.
1: Cheers, captain. Well, now we're going to get to the juicy stuff. Okay. Because on Monday, June 14th, the sheriff's office sends divers to savvy Island, where divers can be seen waiting in waist-high water near the Savi Island Bridge. Well, why does this Savi Island keep popping up, and why do they keep going back there to search? Well, we have to talk about some cell phone pings going off of the tower that is located there.
2: Yeah, the famous cell phone pings.
1: And as so far as we can tell, Terry, the stepmother who was in charge of dropping Kyron off at school that day, may have been the last person to have seen him in the school. Well, she gives an account of what she was doing that day. And remember, we have that window where she's driving the toddler around to try to ease her earache and mm-hmm. help her fall asleep. Well, she can be, you basically got to say she's unaccounted for during that time frame. Well, they, her phone, her cell phone pings off of that tower that is located on Savi Island. So right. the issue here is, police and investigators are working on the situation that she may have been on that Island during that time.
2: And like we know with cell phone technology, it is possible that the ping happened on that Island, but she wasn't on the Island, Right. But, but we can assume that maybe that ping is right. And she was on that Island at some point during that gap.
1: Right. And at no time did she ever tell investigators that she was on Savi Island.
2: Now we don't know much about this area because we don't live there. But I wonder if it's like you were saying before um, when we're talking on the phone, you said, well, wouldn't you know if you're on an island? Right. But again, it's like one of those things where it's like it's only six miles away from the school. Right. So it's like I don't know the area that well, so I don't know if it would be possible for her to to be driving around and not for sure if she ever drove on the island or not.
1: So from my understanding is this cell phone tower on Savvy Island would be the second closest one to where she would have been that day. Okay. So, but we, the problem is like you said, that doesn't, we, we know this now back in 2010, it might not have been so clear, but we know now that sometimes the, the phone call or the pings don't necessarily go to the, the closest tower where you are located because there, there is that glitch. And we've learned that from, other cases, I believe that was one thing that was discussed quite a bit in the Adnan Saeed case. Um, so I think I think we have a situation here where they're, they're probably right to be searching the island. But I don't know how much weight we can put into this because there's a chance that she it, she could have pinged off that tower, and never have been on that island that day. Now, that brings us to Tuesday, June 15th. Um, at eight 45 AM, this is the final day of classes for school, uh, for the skyline elementary school. And of course they end school that day at 3 PM. We want to be clear about this date because there was some news, uh, interviews that came out early uh-huh. in this case where somebody misspoke and said that, uh, that school was actually the last day of school would have been the day that Kyron went missing.
2: Yeah. It was actually an investigator. So, It became a big thing because everybody's going, well, this investigator said that it was the last day, but it it wasn't the last day. Yeah.
1: I believe it was a retired, uh, sheriff's department investigator. Um, the problem with this, why, why is this such a big deal? What day the last day of school was? Well, because there's an issue because Terry at one point had told Kyron's teachers that he was to have a doctor's appointment on Friday. Right. And the way that it's reported is that she simply said he's having a doctor's appointment on Friday. Well, this causes a lot of confusion because he went missing on a Friday. The issue here is that the teachers are saying that it, the, no red flags went off when he was absent from school that day, when he was missing classes, because we had been told by the stepmother that he would be at a doctor's appointment. Later, Terry would tell investigators, no, I was speaking about the
2: following Right. Which, again, it's just, it depends on when she said this to the teachers and did they hear her right mm-hmm. or did she misspeak? Uh, who knows?
1: Right. I, but I think this is one of those things where we have a he said, she said, she said, she said situation. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and it just might just be one of these unclear things.
2: But one of the reasons that people point this out is they think that if they told this, the teachers on the Tuesday, Hey, he's going to be absent because of this doctor's appointment that that would give no red flags on why he'd be gone from the school. Right. And that's why people keep pointing this out.
1: So on that same Tuesday, the last day of school, um, we have the sheriff's office releasing a photo of a pair of glasses that are just like the type that Kyron was wearing when he was last seen. And then at three 30 that afternoon, the sheriff's office releases a new version of the photo of Kyron at his school science fair. This version, created using photo editing software, shows what Kyron would look like without his glasses.
2: Mm-hmm. So what the, what the heck does this mean?
1: Well, this this is very interesting because now I think we have a situation where they they've had time to think this through. And anybody that looks at Kyron's picture, as the captain said or he's a, he's a cute kid. He's very mm-hmm. Very cute kid, but he, he does wear these big glasses that can potentially distract you a little bit from the features of his face, right? Mm. Well, what if he was abducted or removed from the school against his will, and at some point he loses his glasses because of or, you know, some kind of scuffle? Right, or, or
2: the abductor says, hey, take your glasses off.
1: Yeah, and throws them out the window of, of the abductor's car. Right. So now we we need to be concerned that we could very potentially be looking for the exact same boy without this identifier of having glasses on. The other thing is if you think that that story is plausible or it's something that may have happened, well, then you also should be looking for these actual glasses.
2: Yeah, I think they brought this up because there was a bigger lead that maybe that we don't know about or they didn't discuss because, I mean, obviously, You're going to look for, you know, a pair of glasses that are just laying in the middle of nowhere. You're going to be looking for possibly a CSI shirt. You're going to be looking for a bunch of different things of this little boy.
1: Now, two weeks after Kyron has been missing, the sheriff's office releases a flyer asking parents and kids about June 4th. The flyer has photos of Kyron Terry, his stepmother, and a picture of a pickup truck, which is similar to the one that she was driving on the day that he went missing. Right. The family approves this flyer, um, and it's then sent out to the public and this kind of paints a, a strange picture here, right? Because we're not at any point having the sheriff's office say that Terry, the stepmother is a
2: suspect, right? But this flyer kind of points to that.
1: Yeah. Cause now they're asking, Hey, have you seen this boy? Okay. If you haven't seen this boy, have you seen this woman? And have you seen this pickup truck or any of the three, you know, two of the three together, all of them,
2: all of them together? I mean, because that's the big thing here is, I mean, if she's driving around town with her daughter in the car and she also has her stepson in the car, wouldn't there possibly be an eyewitness out there that would see all three together?
1: Mm -hmm. Uh, And then we have on Thursday, June 24th, the uh, Kyron's family releases three home videos and 200 photos of Kyron. Uh, this, you know, trying to get a different image and different angles of this kid to get more things out into the public. So everybody keeps looking for them on Saturday, June 26th at 5:17 p.m. The first of two nine one one calls were made from the Horman residence. This first call comes in as a quote unquote threat call. And the sheriff's deputy responded to the call. Mm hmm. Later that same day, this is just before midnight, a second call was made from the Horman residence to 911. This call has been classified as a custody issue.
2: So going back to the threat call, is that somebody threatening somebody else? or? So that would be my
1: guess, um, because really that's all we have to go off of. But here's what we do know. We can use some other information in this to to figure out what that threat call was. That's probably some kind of domestic Disturbance or domestic situation between Terry, the stepmother, and Kane, the father. Right. And the reason being is the second call is a custody issue. Well, Kyron is missing. Uh, The only other kid that would be at the home at this point would be their daughter that that they had together. Oh, yeah,
2: but they have the older son.
1: But by this point, he's moved out of the home. Okay. So there's only one child in there, and that child has the... both parents live together in this home. Right. Because here's the issue at some point, And I don't know the exact date, but I do know that it took place sometime after those two, nine, one, nine, one, one calls on a Saturday. And before, like, let's say midday on Monday. Right. Kane, Kyron's father, he moves out of the home, out of the family home. And he takes the daughter with him when he leaves. So I think it's obvious that there's some kind of, there's some kind of argument or thing that escalated between the two of them within the home that at some point led to him leaving
2: with his daughter. I think he's sick and tired of her, sick <laughs> and tired of her posting about her workouts on Facebook.
1: Well, then we have on, okay, so let's talk about Monday, June 28th. This is uh, people magazine comes out on this day. And it's important because this issue featured Kyron's story. Now we have Terry's father, Larry, uh, he's interviewed and he told the magazine that she has, that Terry has been subjected to repeated interviews of up to six hours each and that the truck she was driving on the day that Kyron disappeared has been inspected twice now. Yeah,
2: but the problem with that truck is you're going to find DNA evidence of that little boy being in the truck because that's her, his father's truck.
1: Yeah, I don't think I don't see anything strange with her being interviewed or the truck being inspected. Uh, I think that there's been there seems to be some kind of focus on her at this point. And that's what he's being asked about. And furthermore, he's asked whether he thought that his daughter would be arrested, to which he applies or replies with tears in his eyes. It's probably Uh 50-50. Now, later that afternoon, Terry... Denies the news that her husband and daughter had moved out of the family home, stating everything's good, giving a thumbs up uh, to reporters <laughs> saying that we heard that rumor. It's just a rumor that needs to be squelched. Everything is fine.
2: <laughs> look, I mean, I look, I know you can't like, you shouldn't make fun of people the way they look, you know, but I mean, she kind of looks like a turtle. Okay. And I'm just picturing that little turtle with the thumbs up. Everything's good. He, he took your daughter and he left his house. Right. Not, you know, there's, this is not time for thumbs up.
1: Well, yeah. And I mean, she's probably getting information to not be speaking about this. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Uh, as much as what's going on and it, who knows what took place within inside those four walls on that Saturday. Um, Now, that same day, Kyron's father, mother and stepfather, they asked the sheriff's office to release a statement stating they were cooperating in the investigation. Now, the stepmother's name, Terry's name, was obviously absent from this statement. So basically, you have the, the, the sheriff's office releasing a statement saying we have four parents Three of them are cooperating. One of them is not with this investigation.
2: Yeah. But again, if she's doing six hour interviews, I mean, she's cooperating on some level.
1: Mm -hmm. Terry is also served with a restraining order on that day. um, And she's not supposed to be near the family home or returning to the family home until that, you know, order is lifted.
2: Now, Kane, the the father of Kyron, does he say that she made threats during an argument or w- what's happening here? Well, I mean, we're because there's a restraining order. So normally you have to show proof of why you need a restraining order.
1: Well, we're about to find that out because okay. on Sunday, July 4th. Okay. So we're, so now we're just about a week after those nine one one calls. Mm hmm. And we are just about, what, six, seven days after the restraining order? Yeah. We have a newspaper that reveals that a landscaper who worked for Kyron's family at their home told authorities that the missing boy's stepmother offered to pay him to kill her husband. He said that Terry approached him with a murder-for-hire plot approximately six to seven months before Kyron disappeared. And she reportedly offered the landscaper a large sum of money.
2: This story or this part of the story is super odd to me. Yeah. Because the, because what you're going to tell the listeners is that the husband, he's pretty shocked that, you know, she would try to hire the landscaper to kill him, Mm -hmm. but he's also pretty shocked that they have a landscaper.
1: Right. So let's get into this because this is really a big part of this case. So we have this situation. We would later learn that the investigators informed Kane about this murder for hire plot. And it was shortly after that, that he moved out. So I'm thinking he finds out she may have tried to have me killed. Right. So now, now there's going to be probably some 911 calls that involve some kind of domestic thing. And then a, uh, I'm taking the kid and I'm, I'm going to Idaho, you know, <laughs> well, um, uh-huh. because you'll never find me there. The, um,
2: cause he likes potatoes.
1: Well, let's take, let's take a look at this because the situation is this, the landscaper comes forward, tells the police about this situation. The police try to do some form of investigation. They hook up a wire to this guy. Mm-hmm. They return him to Terry with a with another guy. You know, and Terry's like, "Oh, who's who's this dude?" You know, right. I thought you and I were talking about some things. And he goes, "Hey, I'm not going to do this. I'm just going to be the middleman. Right? You know, this is going to be the supposed hitman uh, that we're going to use for this murder for hire plot. The thing is, Terry never says anything to incriminate herself when they are recording these conversations, she actually waves it off and says, I don't know what you guys are talking about. I don't know why you're here. Right. Uh, and so that is, is pushed aside real quick as far as the police being able to do anything with this information or with this story. Now, the way that I've heard that the way that I've seen this reported and what I've read says that the landscaper would tell police that at no time did she ever directly say to him when they were one-on-one, you know, will you kill my husband and I will pay you X number of dollars? Mm-hmm. That never happened. That conversation never happened according to the landscaper. What he says is that he that she approached him and through conversation, she told him that her husband was a, a very abusive man mm-hmm. um, and that he often walked around with about $10,000 on his person and yeah. basically implying that if if it looked like a mugging and he ends up dead, the person that did the mugging could walk away with quite a bit of money.
2: Yeah, I just don't know how much I believe this landscaper at all. Mm-hmm. You know, because, yeah, they might, you know, she never uh, asked me uh, to uh, kill him. She just kind of implied it. And it's like, yeah, but maybe she just implied that she wasn't happy in the marriage. And this guy's kind of a jerk of a guy. And yeah, he cares around money. I mean, who knows? Right. I mean, and then, and then the big thing to me is when did the cops learn about this? Did they learn about it before the disappearance? Did they learn about it after the disappearance?
1: Right. Because that's where all the weight of the situation comes and The words that are used come into play because had this guy come forward before Kyron went missing. Well, then you say, well, this I would would tend to believe that this likely happened, that this conversation happened and that he believed that he was supposed to kill this man, this abusive husband.
2: But don't you think this muckies up everything? Like, if you knew about this before the disappearance, you couldn't prove anything. And then if you learn about this after the disappearance and you couldn't prove anything after the disappearance, then giving this information to the father, doesn't that just, like, make everything really mucky right
1: yeah and here here's why I tend to believe that it's it's more likely that police learn about this situation after Kyron had disappeared we're talking about a situation even if they even if they wiretap right and they come up with nothing right don't you think that they're going to approach the potential target at some point to at least notify him that there's a chance that your life could be in danger yeah do, I mean, I would think they would have an obligation to do that.
2: But, yeah, so yeah, maybe, I don't know. That's a tough one. I mean, at
1: the very least, don't you think you're getting a phone call from the police saying, do you know so-and-so? He says he's your landscaper. Mm-hmm. I mean, at the very least. And then we hear later the father saying, I didn't even know we had a landscaper.
2: Right, and the the problem with this, and we were talking about this earlier, is What if this landscaper is just full of shit? Because one, the parent, uh, the father says, "I didn't even know we had a landscaper." Right, and I was telling you, I think for you not to know that you have a landscaper, and we disagree on this. But for me, if I didn't, if I didn't know I had a landscaper, I'd be like, "Well, and this guy works from home like a few days a week. Like at some point, yeah." You might hear like the lawnmower going off or some uh, the blower going off, and you you see a guy walking around your house. You probably should assume you have a landscaper. This guy doesn't even know he has a landscaper, and so you brought up a great point which I I didn't even think about before. But you know what if this landscaper is just completely lying about everything to I mean, be
1: involved in the story,
2: right? Just to be involved in the story, and now again you have this really odd situation because. Yeah, there's some stuff that's already pointing to the fact that Terry, uh, the stepmom, is a little fishy. Mm-hmm. You know, or a little turtley, whatever you want to say.
1: Well, I think I think the thing here is, okay, I didn't even know we had a landscaper, and I know you say that it seems crazy that somebody wouldn't know that they have a landscaper. I think the problem is that when we hear in one sentence somebody say. She offered their landscaper that worked at their home money to kill her husband. I think we immediately leap to the conclusion that this guy worked for them long-term
2: like every week.
1: Yeah. Uh, There, there is a chance that, that possibly this, he may have just come out and gave them a quote on something, right? Or he may have just came out and fixed or did one job on one day, trimmed some trees. And they have that conversation after that job or during that job about hey my husband walks around with ten thousand dollars you should bust up his kneecaps and kill him <laughs> right. you know so um I, I think that that I don't think we should look too much into his this guy's occupation or how often he worked for I think it's very likely that Kyron you know that that Kane didn't know that some guy on one time came and worked at their home
2: right but that's the thing about this i I really think there's this is a big piece of the puzzle. And there's so many blurry parts of the story. There's so many questions we don't know. And if it's like if they, it'd be great if there was just an interview about this with Kane.
1: And I think what you're getting at, which you're right to say so, is that well, why then would this random landscaper just come forward and and talk about this story? Well, we know that all of these in all of these cases, the oh. ones that get all this public attention and mm-hmm. that are on TV and in the newspapers,
2: well, and especially. Cases involving kids.
1: Crazies come out of the woodwork. We have people that say that they're involved in the crime. People will come forward and say they committed the crime. Uh People will come forward and say that they saw things that they didn't see or that things happened that didn't happen. So did it happen? We don't know. Now, if you believe that it did happen, it, man, it's not very far for you to go. Well, if she did that, then she probably, did something or is responsible for Kyron's disappearance.
2: It's a huge red flag. Mm-hmm. It's a, this red flag is a, as big as Idaho.
1: There's red flags and somehow pythons and turtles have weaved their way into this tale. And then at the end of the day, what we have is we still have a missing little boy, He's seven years old. We have this and and it's not a, so much a search for him anymore. Of course, they're going to keep searching for him, right? But this has changed from a, from looking for a little boy to now we have a criminal investigation here. And these minutes, these hours, these days are crucial, very crucial.
2: Well, on top of that, we have all this weird speculation coming out, but we also have the step parents and the parents. There's a lot of feuding going on when you would think a time that the family would come together. hmm we're just adding gasoline to the fire.
1: Yeah. And this is a really big case. This is a huge case. And that's why we are excited to be able to do uh, part three and part four on it. That will come out next week. Um, but we got a lot more stuff to get to. We do have some recommended reading for this week. Captain this week. We are recommending the last Chicago boss, my life with the Chicago outlaws motorcycle club by big Pete James, Big Pete reveals how he became the godfather of the Chicago outlaws. The last Chicago boss reads like the sons of anarchy come to life, complete with never before revealed interviews, police files, wiretaps, recordings, and trial transcripts. So get on your bike and ride over to our recommended page at truecrimegarage.com. Check out all of our recommendations there. And if you find something that you like, use our Amazon banner to make those purchases. Costs you nothing extra and it helps out the garage. Thank you to everybody for joining us in the garage this week. We will see you right back here next week. Until then, be good, be kind, and don't litter.